Good morning and welcome to another episode of Hangouts and Headlines. Today, Tuesday, September 27th, 2022. We're trying a little new thing with a countdown of some kind. Folks did mention that they missed me at the top of these episodes because the live doesn't quite work. I'll get those buttons working a little bit better in the future, but I hope everybody's having a good morning. Some of you might also have seen in the chat that I changed the title of this episode a little bit because we are going to talk about a second topic to what I had originally planned as our only headline uh, because some stuff is happening with respect to Alec Baldwin and the Rust shooting. Uh, and if you followed us in virtual legality, you know, we talked about both the um, nature of the shooting and the interesting choices that were made in electing to give an interview on national television immediately in its wake uh, and as I discussed yesterday, we're going to try to update stories a little bit more often in this space than we have been doing in the past. And well, there's a lot of updates to have on this rust shooting question. Uh, so we'll be talking about that as well as one of the more unusual state of affairs with respect to the FBI uh, and banks uh, that the Los Angeles Times covered in a great deal of depth. Uh, in the past few days. And I wanted to talk about it with you because I think it's worth talking about. Uh, so those are the headlines we're going to be talking about today. How is everybody doing? Now, I do have to give at least a brief apology here. I do have a little bit of a headache this morning. I saw in chat that a number of you, or at least one of you has a headache as well. We're going to work through this together. I'm going to try to keep it on an even keel. Uh, I'm a loud person in general. I'm a verbose person in general. I'm a boring person in general. Uh, but we're going to try to we're going to try to keep it easy, easy going. Uh, still having fun. I am not wearing my glasses, am I? Oh, my God. I knew I couldn't see anything. Thank you, chat. Woo! Woo! <laughs> uh, that, that makes me feel a little bit better. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well. All right. Everybody's ready this morning, aren't we? Uh, the countdown works. There's a refresh delay for lives when we're already here. Um, oh, okay. All right. Great. Well, We'll make it work. We'll figure this out. I'll look at the archive. We'll 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 update things. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, a number of other people got uh, their uh, deliveries from the store yesterday. I saw a bunch of pictures in uh, my Twitter on my social media. I got an email or two, so that was really cool. That was fun. And uh, I'm going to be putting up a placeholder. I'll mention this again at the end of the episode. Uh, but we're doing question time tomorrow, so no hangouts and headlines because Wednesday is off day. But uh, we do question time for our Utreon, our Patreon supporters, and specifically get the ability to ask questions uh, at the tiers that they support the channel. And then at the second half of the show, if there is a second half, there usually is, uh, we do community questions where we just hang out and we talk. Uh, and uh, it, it isn't that different from what we're doing right this second, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And people are often asking questions that aren't related to uh, law personal questions, uh, things that are of interest to them uh, about how this channel operates, how uh, my life operates, those kinds of things, as well as questions about videos that I've done. Uh, and so those question times are a lot of fun. If you haven't joined us for one of those, mark it on your calendars. It'll be 10 a.m. tomorrow. Uh, so it's about two and a half hours later uh, than we do these Hangouts and Headline streams uh, because that's when it's always been. It's always been about 10 a.m. Uh, for those particular episodes. Used to be on Saturdays. Lawyers and Dragons took that slot. Um, so we've been doing them on the Wednesdays towards the end of the month. So uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. I look forward to that. But we're going to work through, as always, always be improving, always be getting better. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to try to get maybe a countdown in here, make it make it work a little bit better for folks uh, and have a little fun with it. Uh, thank you. Headache here also. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Usually it's when I don't give myself enough sleep. 
Uh, I stayed up a little bit late last night um, and uh, got up a little bit early here. So usually if I don't get enough sleep, I have a little bit of a headache issue. And uh, today's no different, but we're going to have some fun. Loud, but never boring. Boring, but never loud. Go either way. Wait, was that Hogue all along? Yes. Uh, Superman and Hogue. <laughs> there are so, so many buttons to hit to make this happen um, that occasionally one of the buttons I forget to hit is, you know, putting a hat on or putting my glasses on or otherwise getting ready to show myself on the internet. <laughs> uh, but it's it's because I thought I was going to be doing one article this morning. And I, let's see, look at the tabs. One, two, three, four, five, six. I got seven tabs open instead. So it kind of changed it up on the fly. That's the beauty of this kind of model is that I can do that. I can I can adjust things as I want, uh, but it does maybe move me right up to the 7.30 mark. And, and sometimes you just forget to wear your glasses. That uh, would be a lawyer who's not verbose is impossible to exist. You would be surprised at like some of the statutory specialists. I'm talking about like the deep dive guys on like tax regulation um, who can be very quiet uh, and also geniuses, uh, but can be very, very quiet. Uh, not everybody is, is a litigator or a YouTube lawyer or, or what have you. And I do know a lot of folks on social media have thoughts on lawyers that have YouTube channels. Hmm. Yes, I do get your DMs, folks. Even though I'm blocked by certain individuals on social media, folks have been sending me screenshots of various uh, DM uh, and social media posts and Twitter posts and things like that that individuals have made regarding uh, the practice of being on YouTube as a working lawyer. So I see them. I see them. Um, but as we've said before, you know, ad hominem attacks. They're not good for anybody. Aviation fanatics, sorry for the headache. I have it too. Tis the season. The entire chat has headaches. We're, we're yeah, we're just gonna do we're gonna do like the the really quiet ASMR version of hangouts and headlines. Hey everybody, how are you doing? Um, some of us stayed up too late. So if you could just not slam any doors around here, that would be that would be awesome. I'm very sorry to hear it, Aviation Fanatic, and I'm sorry to, to feel it, but you never know. We These episodes run a little while. Hopefully, everybody's headache goes away in that time period. Uh, take it easy. Migraines, August through September, were constant. Uh, yeah, I don't think this... Mine isn't a migraine. I hope that yours aren't either, uh, but uh, yeah, please be, be safe out there. Um, I'm mostly just looking at uh, not much of the screen because of my headache. Yep, I hear you. I, I'm not in full dark room mode. I am, however, you know, flashing a studio light at my face. So we all make our choices in this life. <laughs> uh, my favorite headache medicine is Advil migraine. 20 minutes, it's gone. I'm a Motrin guy, but I, uh, I, I hear you. Whatever works for you. Uh, I think uh, it's a uh, reasonable minds can differ. Reasonable, reasonable brains, reasonable heads uh, can differ on what medicine works for them. Uh, Eric says, uh, be sure to go easy, Secret McSquirrel. Yeah, I didn't see Secret McSquirrel, but hopefully... She's doing a little bit better, and, and good morning to you, Mr. Hunley. Um, be sure to smash that like button, or if you've got a headache, just a gentle caressing of the like button. Still as effective. You don't need to smash anything. We don't need to yell. We don't need any bright lights or flushes. We could just you just lightly tap the like button would be awesome. Um, Kelly says, question, non-law, will there be Lawyers and Dragons character merch uh, there is one very specific character that we are hoping to launch very soon. Um, and then in terms of the characters themselves, uh, that is on the potential agenda. 
so everything is everything is working. We had to get the store actually operating first. Um, then I've got some some art in process and uh, stay tuned to this space. Stay tuned to this space. Um, uh, Secret McSquirrel, I never admit to having a headache. Tend to find people want to MRI my head if I say that. So, all right. So that was only once. Yeah, that's fair. Secret McSquirrel. Uh, no, I, I, I don't like to admit to, you know, any forms of weakness whatsoever. But if I'm going to perform uh, an Internet show, I figured I might at least point out if my uh, voice, volume, or energy is all different. Uh, there are reasons for it. Um, and sometimes when I have a headache, it takes me a little bit longer, another beat to go find those words that I'm looking for. So you never know. We'll, we'll have fun together. Um, and civil laws in the chat. Good morning, guns of a law buttons. Also forgotten inviting friends onto the show. Uh, I love you, Hogue. I don't think I put a link out today cause I, I had a lot of volume to do. Um, but, uh, sorry about that, Kurt. Uh, let's see here. Uh, my headache is called work. Sure. 30 minutes in and I'm already over it. Well, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can ease some of that burden a little bit here. We got some interesting stuff to talk about today. Here's Rob of Law and Lumber. Some working lawyers have trial in two and a half hours, lol. Thanks for keeping me company. Hopefully I'm not too distracting and good luck on your trial, Rob. Absolutely. Uh, it is, you know, you, you are a working lawyer that also comes on YouTube from time to time. Uh, it's weird how that can work. Uh, Mrs. Hoglaw's in the chat saying she wants Hardy merch. Hey, you know, we're in charge of that, honey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my sympathy on the headaches and the lack of sleep. No migraine for me yet today, but I work overnights and barely slept yesterday. Do not recommend. I hear you, Cheryl. Yeah, no, I did it to myself. Generally speaking, I can get it to go away. Um, so we'll see. We're working together on this, folks. As the great philosopher poets of High School Musical said, we are all in this together. Uh, I got one of those frozen head pads for migraines. Ooh, I've never even tried that. Ooh, that sounds interesting. Bruno Marches with brains emojis. Love it. Uh, hi, Curtain Rob. Hi, Curtain Rob. I would love a brains mug, just saying. Like a mug of brains? I mean, it's almost October, so that kind of request is acceptable. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see what we can do, okay? Let's watch this space. Um, why would anyone care that an attorney is on YouTube? I don't know. It's super weird, right? Uh, we're trying to, we're trying to not bring very specific drama into this space too often this week. Uh, but things have been said about how poor the lawyers must be, uh, well, really both in, uh, in financial and I guess psychological or intellectual success if they, if they have a YouTube channel. Uh, and I, I, my only response to that is I like doing this. I, I feel called to describe this stuff, to have these conversations, to have this, this this place um and i've done the big law thing i've done i've done i practiced law for almost 20 years now uh and it takes all different kinds of lawyers uh and i feel confident in my in my cv should it come to it um let's see what else we've got here sardinisms i get migraines as a child two cat scans mri vision tests and a decade-long medication dartboard later and i mostly grew out of them and i'm glad for it i'm glad for it too sardinisms that sounds rough and especially for kids um but i'm glad that you're not uh dealing with it quite as often anymore hopefully um okay well folks it's almost 500 of us in here we've got a lot to talk about i say we get to the headlines a little bit early if anybody wants to you know ask a question at hoglaw does it question usually that can flag me 
Super Chats I see as well. You want to do that while we do these articles because we're going to be starting a little early uh, because we have so many tabs to discuss. You can do that. I will see them mostly, hopefully. I can never make any guarantees on that. I have never been as good as some at tracking what's happening in the chat at the same time that I'm like analyzing an article or discussing a topic. So we're going to continue to try to get better at that. Like we always do. Everybody get better. Keep focusing. Nobody's perfect. Um, and we're going to do that today, starting with the article on ladies and gentlemen, I give you the FBI, um, which is my very poor diehard impression. Uh, but here is a headline that pulls no punches from the Los Angeles time. FBI misled judge who signed warrant for Beverly Hills seizure of $86 million in cash. Now, what's really interesting about this headline to me is if we go through the article a little bit, I, I don't actually think we're going to go through the whole thing. This is one of the longer form articles that we've covered in this space, and it's, it's very lengthy. It's linked in the description. You can check out um, the back half of it. Uh, if you would like, uh, but I don't know that it adds much to what we're going to talk about here. But what's really interesting about what we will see is that the FBI denies this, uh, that the folks that um, uh, were responsible for the warrant says we didn't mislead anybody, which is an interesting choice for an outlet to make to go out with this headline. It's not allegedly misled. It's not appears to have misled. It is the Los Angeles Times saying the FBI misled the judge, even with the FBI on the record saying, no, we didn't. Um, and you're going to get some editorializing about what happened here within the reporting. Uh, and we, we often comment on that in this space and we, we look askance at it. And I don't know that it's entirely appropriate for this article either, uh, as I don't believe it was entirely appropriate in other contexts that we've discussed. But it's worth noting that this is when uh, an outlet feels very strongly about their position. And we've seen that uh, utilized in wrongheaded ways. And, we've, and this one, I think, is probably a little bit more right-headed. But that's my own biases. I'll let you judge for yourself. The privacy invasion was vast. Okay, hold on. Pause. <laughs> well, um, yes and no. Generally speaking, we don't frame out a valid search warrant and law enforcement process. Uh, in these specific terms. So the Los Angeles Times is swinging at the start of this particular article, and they will continue swinging throughout. The privacy invasion was vast when FBI agents drilled and pried their way into 1,400 safe deposit boxes at the U.S. private vault store in Beverly Hills. They rummaged through personal belongings of a jazz saxophone player, an interior designer, a retired doctor, a flooring contractor, two Century City lawyers, and hundreds of others. Agents took photos and videos of pay stubs, password lists, credit cards, a prenuptial agreement, immigration and vaccination records, bank statements, heirlooms, and a will. Court records show, in one box, agents found cremated human remains. So the Los Angeles Times isn't giving you any of the background to start out with here. They are framing the story in a very specific way. This sounds horrible, right? Under what rubric could a national police force like the Federal Bureau of Investigation have deigned to break into more than a thousand safe deposit boxes? And the Los Angeles Times is framing it as ridiculous as it sounds by saying, look at all the crap they found that couldn't possibly be related to anything. 
uh, right? You know, you got your vaccination records. You've got your uh, the fact that it's a jazz saxophone player and not a criminal consortium of, of folks. And so the Los Angeles Times is framing this in a very specific way. The FBI, we will later find, believes that it's the company itself, U.S. private vaults, uh, that is the one that is a, a conspirator in crimes. And so they allowed themselves, through the help of a judge, uh, to examine every safe deposit box in the place. Now, this has its own problems uh, because that's not usually the way we operate, right? You think of uh, crimes, let's say drug deals happening in a hotel room uh, or in a motel just off the highway by the airport. That doesn't give the FBI or the local police force the right to raid every single room at the motel, not generally speaking. Uh, and this is a very similar kind of concept. So this is apparently something that has upset folks for a long period of time. This is actually describing uh, a set of events that happened a couple of years ago uh, that they're only getting redress on now to some extent because the court is releasing records that the government has otherwise tried to, um, well, hide. 18 months later, after this whole event took place, newly unsealed court documents show that the FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office in Los Angeles got their warrant for that raid by misleading the judge who approved it. They omitted from their warrant request a central part of the FBI's plan. Not only did they go find this stuff, folks, but what did they do with it? They permanently confiscated everything inside a box containing at least $5,000 in cash or goods, said a senior FBI agent in recent testimony. So I, I titled this Bank Robbers or FBI. We're going to look at a little bit more details here. But effectively, the Los Angeles Times put up an article that says, uh, you guys went in, uh, you didn't have the proper kind of stance on any of this. That'll come later in the article. You didn't tell the judge you were going to seize all the property under what we would generally consider civil forfeiture laws or criminal forfeiture, depending on exactly what was behind all of this. And uh, in that way, you looked a lot like bank robbers, right? You, you broke into a bank and you took all the stuff um, and you didn't apparently, at least as this article will suggest, attach it to any specific crime. You just said it's a very crimey place. Uh, and that's that's a problem. They omitted from their warrant. We looked at that. The FBI's justification for the dragnet forfeiture was its presumption that hundreds of unknown box holders were all storing assets somehow tied to unknown crimes, court records show. Now, the Constitution is supposed to prevent unreasonable search and seizure. Just based on the Los Angeles Times description, we're going to use our normal grain of salt for this, right? This is a secondary source. This is a journalistic outlet who recently reported on Jason Momoa's appearance at Johnny Depp's trial and the jokes that he made as Aquaman. So we're going to remember that this goes through separate things. We're not going to have the uh, that uh, amnesia, the name of which I always forget. Uh, and, and we'll use that grain of salt. But as described, uh, this is a very troubling state of affairs for the FBI to just go and say, we're claiming everything in this place and not tie it to any specific crimes, just the fact that it's crimey in general. And you see here in September, 2021, the Los Angeles Times reporting on this. Uh, where's the proof, says the owners, because the owners sued. The owners brought a class action uh, against these sources. It took five days for scores of agents to fill their evidence bags with the bounty. More than $86 million in cash and a bonanza of gold, silver, 
rare coins, gem-studded jewelry, and enough Rolex and Cartier watches to stock a boutique. The U.S. Attorney's Office has tried to block public disclosure of court papers that laid bare the government's deception, but a judge rejected its request to keep them under seal. Uh, Eric Conley, Gelman Amnesia, right? That's a Michael Crichton coined phrase, isn't it? I believe it is. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Um, yes, a judge rejected this request to keep them under seal. So the Los Angeles Times, again, this is notable, right? Because you've got lawyers at these outlets, and we're going to talk about the fact the FBI denies all this, doesn't go out with anything other than the government's deception. It was laid bare in the same sentence that it's basically accusing the U.S. Attorney's Office of acting uh, in an untoward manner by trying to hide the government's deception. Uh, and that the judge is the only one acting reasonably, according to the Los Angeles Times framing here. The failure to disclose the confiscation plan in the warrant request came to light in FBI documents and depositions of agents in a class action lawsuit by box holders who say the raid violated their rights. This is the first time we actually see the Los Angeles Times kind of back off a little bit. I mean, if there is a government's deception, then the raid violated their rights. It's You don't necessarily have to put the alleged here, but you can see the lawyers doing their work. Here's some pictures of the, of the raid. The court filings also show that federal agents defied restrictions that U.S. Magistrate Judge Steve Kim set in the warrant by searching through box holders' belongings for evidence of crimes. So you've got multiple issues with this particular warrant, one of which is it probably shouldn't have been signed, as the Los Angeles Times describes it, in terms of probable cause. We can put that aside for a second because it was signed. Uh, and so that's the, the original judge's issue uh, and, and not the FBI's necessarily. Uh, and then two, there were restrictions put on it by that judge and the FBI apparently just ignored them and never told the judge that they were going to confiscate everything in these boxes regardless. The government did not know what was in those boxes, who owned them, or what anything those people had done. Robert Frommer, a lawyer who represents nearly 400 box holders in the class action case, wrote in court papers. Now, that's, that's interesting. We don't know exactly how many boxes they held, uh, but that's fewer than 1,400, certainly. That's why the warrant application did not even attempt to argue there was probable cause to seize and forfeit box renters' property. Certainly doesn't sound it as described. After a two-year investigation that opened in 2019, leaders of the FBI's Los Angeles office believed U.S. private vaults was a magnet for criminals hiding illicit proceeds in their boxes. So again, this place is crimey, and so we can go seize everything. The business was charged with conspiracy to sell drugs and launder money. The FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office denied that they misled the judge or ignored his conditions, saying they had no obligation to tell him of the plan for indiscriminate confiscations on the blanket assumption that every customer was hiding crime-tainted assets. Right? So, um... <clears throat> Your humble news reporter at the Los Angeles Times is editorializing here. Uh, it certainly sounds warranted, but again, they're controlling the facts that we get on this. Uh, but it is interesting to see that when they're talking even about the government's denials, they frame this as indiscriminate confiscations on a blanket assumption. Okay. FBI spokeswoman Laura E. Miller said the warrants were lawfully executed based on allegations of widespread criminal wrongdoing. At no time was a magistrate misled as to the probable cause used to obtain the warrants, says the FBI. U.S. private vaults has pleaded guilty to conspiracy to launder drug money, 
and the investigation is continuing, she said. The plaintiffs in the class action suit have asked U.S. District Judge R. Gary Klausner to declare the raid unconstitutional. If he grants the request, it could force the FBI to return millions of dollars to box holders whose assets it has tried to confiscate. It could also spoil an unknown number of criminal investigations by blocking prosecutors from using any evidence or information acquired in the raid, including guns and drugs. Now, as I said, this article goes much, much, much longer. We're not going to go into the, they're going to talk about U.S. private vaults. They're going to talk about more of this. I, go check it out. It is of interest. But I just wanted to talk about this a little bit because this took me by surprise this weekend. I had not heard about this uh, from whatever they described it as 18 months ago. And I think this is a fundamental problem. When we talk about these things, I guess I'm going to ed editorialize a little bit, but heck, it's my show. When we talk about these things uh, and we talk about institutions and we talk online about politics, when the FBI comes up, when the DOJ comes up, when the FTC comes up, um, one of the things that also comes up in those conversations is a general lack and trust in our institutions right now in 2022. And this is the kind of story that I think really, really hurts that trust in institutions. I can't, at least as described to me by the Los Angeles Times, frame this as anything but horrifying. That this to me very much does sound like bank robbery um, and very much does sound to me like something that needs correction. And it's nice that there's a class action that is that is being done right now, but we're already 18 months in. We're probably many, many more months if not years, from a final disposition of a case here. And in all that time, the FBI, the, the feds, have seized property that was or at least could be lawfully held by these individuals and is just holding it and may or may not even be able to return it when the time is done to do so. Uh, and so I, I think this is the kind of thing that we all on whatever side of whatever policies you are on or politics or what have you should be aware of. Uh, and that is that optics matter. Um, and that uh, if this is as described, um, this is the kind of thing that makes people look at the FBI and say they're not they're not worthy of trust or look at any other law enforcement. I've, I've long railed against civil forfeiture as a concept, right? The idea of taking property and assets before you've actually proven your case against someone uh, is anathema to to what I believe justice is. And that's that's all the politics you're going to get from me today. Uh, but I think reasonable minds on both sides of the aisle have had their issues with civil forfeiture, um, certainly here in Michigan. Uh, so I wanted to frame this out. I wanted to talk to you all about it. What do you all think about this? What do you think about the LA Times reporting on it? It's very strongly worded um, for what is at least objectively denied by the party they are accusing of wrongdoing. Uh, and that's very interesting. You don't see that configuration very often. The spokesperson talks and the the outlet goes over the top of it anyway and says, no, this is obviously complete BS. Um, and they don't even have to say that because of the way they framed the rest of their article. Charlie, I want to thank you so much for supporting the channel with your super sticker. I really, really appreciate it. What does everybody else think about this? Uh, Heathers asks, did the FBI catch this judge in a compromising position? I don't know that we need to go that far. Um, I think one of the real... One of the real shames of the warrant process, which is ostensibly designed to protect us, uh, is that, for the most part, a lot of uh, requests from law enforcement, this is not limited to the FBI, are pretty much rubber stamped. Um, say, okay, you've, you've got the right boxes checked, you've got the right things that you are telling me, and okay, I'm going to sign it. 
uh, that it's easier to sign it than to get in the way uh, of the law enforcement officials. And I, I suspect that's what happened here, although it was certainly read enough, at least as again described by the Los Angeles Times, for the judge to say, well, that's pretty broad. We're going to have to put restrictions on it. You're not allowed to look just like rifle through the boxes. And the FBI ignored it again, as as reported here. Um, that Sarah civil asset forfeiture is so widely abused, it's mind-blowing sometimes. That some of the most horrific stuff you will hear in terms of if you put yourself in the person's shoes is civil asset forfeiture. The, the, the notion of being accused of something and having your car taken and then not being able to get to the court uh, uh, on time and then having it, a default judgment placed against you. And like just, just all these various things that happen. But the notion, even if, you don't like someone, even if you think they're a criminal. The notion that you can take an action against them preemptorily before you as the state have made your case, uh, it just really has never has never worked for me. And then you wind up getting these stories about, oh, they seized all this stuff uh, and they, you know, they bought they bought some new plasma TVs for the headquarters. It's like, oh, OK, um, great. Uh, and the actual return process can take very long, even if they drop the charges against you. Uh, possession is nine tenths of the law. People have asked me like what that means in practice. It means it's a lot easier to be holding the money or the goods or the jewels or the Rolexes than it is to be on the other side and having a legal right to go get it. Right. It's easier to hold the thing and to fight about it in litigation than it is to be on the other side. That that's possession is nine tenths of the law. Did the FBI watch inside man for movie night or something? Honestly, I, my biggest fear here is that this isn't as unusual as the Los Angeles Times or I am framing it. Um, and, and that's a concern because warrants really do get signed pretty easily in, in a number of jurisdictions and in a number of judges. Uh, but that's that's the story here. Right. What, if any, cause did the FBI have to rob this bank? Well, they think they found some bad actors and they, they did plead guilty. Uh, at the end of the day for the overall store. But again, if you imagine that you frequent a place that uh, gives you packaging, that your local UPS store or whatever also happens to be a front for the mob, should it be the case that they are allowed to go through all of the packages of every individual person that was otherwise using the service uh, because they can show that it was a front for the mob? I would argue the answer to that is no, pretty obviously. Uh, the FBI would argue that it is yes. Uh, and the safe deposit boxes are that kind of thing here. Uh, and it, if we're giving the benefit of the doubt, there is at least a possibility that everything in there is related to, you know, again, the mob. Uh, but I think they should have to go further to actually prove their case in order to do the kinds of things that are described in this article. Uh, Katie Cotton, belief is not probable cause either. You're not wrong. Uh, but... Uh, the way warrants are signed, it, it very often is, right? You think about probable cause being established by, you know, the the whiff of cannabis uh, in the air from, you know, two buildings away. We give a lot of discretion to, to law enforcement. We've talked about this, right? Trust in institutions is also trust in people. Um, and, and one of the things that is the most disturbing, if you're looking at these closely, is we give almost total immunity to prosecutors. So we need them to act properly. We talked about this with respect to the serial case last last week. Uh, we give very strong levels of immunity to police officers here. We give a lot of discretion to judges uh, on the warrant process. And we hope 
that the requirements of having all those people have to act together, police and DAs and judges and things like that, gives us some amount of checks and balances. What we are finding is that a lot of the times they're rowing in the same direction and it sometimes gets a little bit corrupted. Uh, and I don't blame anybody for looking at this and saying, oh, I don't trust any part of the system. Um, but it's a shame because this these are the mechanisms of society. And I can't tell you that my trust hasn't been eroded, at least somewhat, uh, in my years as an adult uh, on these questions. But uh, it's important to get it back. So I'll continue to fight for it getting it back. But the best way to get it back is to look at stories like this and say, yes, if that kind of thing happens, there needs to be punishment. It needs to be public. It needs to be obvious. And then it needs to lead to reforms um, and not to just sweep things under the rug. So I want institutional trust back. And I think the best way to do that is to, is to highlight these things and say this needs to be corrected. Freeman says, rotten to the core. Uh, Heather says, did someone get mad at a bank teller? Uh, P.E., I have grindy teeth while reading while you're reading this. Yep, yep. Um, they're doing a great job of emotional writing. It is. We have to comment on that because it is something I call out very frequently. It is very editorialized for an article like this one with a major power like the FBI on the other side. Your Honor, we detect a slight smell of crime coming out of those boxes. Exactly, B. Exactly. And I love the monocle emoji. I love that one. Uh, Shireen, yes, please return the people's money and their cremated remains. Uh, dog backwards, if the conservative SCOTUS was worth its salt, why would I matter? Why would it matter? Like the like Supreme Court's going to take it up? Well, this is a matter of law enforcement and warrants and things. And the, the issue always with redress, right, is that it is a long time coming. If, if you're up at the Supreme Court, you are years away from when your watch was stolen. Um, and you might get it back if the Supreme Court decides to grant cert on your question and then decides to hold in your favor. And you might not, because at that point, the FBI says, well, we lost it. It was 10 years ago. Um, and you say, well, we won that court case, but I don't have my watch. Um, believed they took everything because they believed, you know. Uh, the Heathers, it wasn't really a bank, more like a glorified P.O. box store, but one that doesn't receive mail. Um, yeah, you can go look at the summaries of this. And there is un there is no doubt in my mind that some portion of those boxes were used to hide the ill-gotten gains of a criminal pursuit or whatever you might frame it as, as a law enforcement officer. But that doesn't give you the right to just say, there's some stuff there somewhere and we get to look at everything and seize it all. Come on now. Uh, sibling creature, watch them turn around and say they can't return the contents because they've been converted to cash or some such. Yeah, years on down the line. Well, we weren't able to identify the, the things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lexi, I'd say they ruined their evidence gathering all on their own with no help from the judge. Uh, Newt says Steve Lido, another YouTube lawyer, has been covering it since the beginning. And even from the start, it was ridiculous. Fantastic. Go check out his channel. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't know that I had not heard about this story until this weekend's article from the times. So, uh, if he's got coverage of this, absolutely go check him out. Um, uh, Tanya Fox, that's Sarah, Wright. There are so many laws in the books from the so-called war on drugs that are both anti-constitutional and ripe for bad actors. Uh, yeah, I mean, anti-constitutional depends on certain things that we would analyze on a law by law basis, but yeah, I think definitely a lot of that stuff. Um, the stuff that we saw in the eighties with the drug war, the stuff that we saw in the early two thousands with the terrorism war, a lot of that stuff is a, a breeding ground for bad acts from fo folks that are badly inclined. Um, and so we have to watch that kind of stuff. We have to look at it. 
Um, Craig says civil asset forfeiture used to be a maritime thing where the owner was not known. It has turned into an ongoing robbery of people that cannot afford to fight. I'm afraid I'm in broad agreement with Craig. Um, that uh, asset forfeiture is very often used to take the re very resources that would be used to defend oneself um, right from them before the defense can happen. Sardinisms, that's why the stories make me so angry, because it means less trust of the institutions in the framework of law and government that the country is supposed to follow. Well, you can see I'm, you know, it gets me upset. I'm an officer of the court, right? I, I, I took an oath uh, as a lawyer on all this stuff. Uh, but, you know, when you burn your reputation to the ground on this, uh, that, that becomes a problem. Uh, Charles Forrest, and this is the same FBI that, FBI that raided Mar-a-Lago. I thought this might be coming. I'm sure we can trust all their representations about that. Well, I, you know, I don't think that you can just place, um, you know, one bad act, or let's be frank, the FBI has a series of bad acts. Like any big institution, they have a lot of uh, actors doing good and bad things um, on, on that. And so we are going to avoid the larger political questions with FBI raids of Florida hotels. Um, but I do think that overall trust in the institution is deservedly down when you see stories like this. Um, and I think that that can lead to conversations about politicization of agencies that are not good in a fully healthy and functional society uh, and that those need to be stamped out. And a, a good FBI would be policing itself on this kind of thing. And I do worry that they're not a good FBI. Uh, but that is separate from the legitimacy or illegitimacy of warrants in other cases. So we're going to put that aside. I appreciate the comment. Um, Ardo says, you do not trust institutions, so you put your rainy day fund in a safety box. Then an institution comes and steals it all. Fun times, fun times indeed. This is a fair comment as well. You guys are really killing it with comments this morning, first of all. I want to say, my, I am so thrilled with this community and the chat and, and talking through difficult issues with various different perspectives. Um, and, and this is another great point, which is to say, you use a place like this if you're not a criminal mastermind, right? Because you don't trust the banks. Uh, and you use a place like this, you put it in the safety deposit box, and the FBI raids it and steals your stuff. How do you feel that day, right? Because while I can tell you that there are almost certainly ill-gotten gains somewhere in that place, and as there are in probably every bank on earth, there are also, and probably predominantly more, totally gotten gains not ill at all yo using my 90s vernacular and those particular people just found one day that the fbi came and stole all their stuff that's a bad day certainly those people aren't getting their trusted institutions back anytime soon and we should be more cautious about that kind of thing good morning from michigan says sally b good morning good morning headaches going away getting a little bit better uh hogo have you looked into the warrants uh, you know i might Honestly, this one got me. Um, this one got me interested enough. I, I might. I have not yet. No, this is just as a headlines uh, coverage uh, and not a virtual reality. This is this is literally looking at the reporting, looking at the headlines, looking at how it's described, and noting how I think somebody said it was emotionally written. It is emotionally written. The, the Los Angeles Times writes it as if it is pissed, right? And that is an interesting thing to note. It's one of the reasons I wanted to flag it here because we don't see this kind of reporting in most instances. Um, but I might look at the warrants. I might, might, might. Aviation fanatic, this is scary stuff. What else has the FBI lied about? Hmm, emojis. Yeah, I mean, like that's 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 the fundamental issue, right? And and we've seen that with some of the stuff that came out in the Whitmer case. We've seen that with some of the stuff uh, that's that's come out in other instances uh, with the FBI under both administrations. Folks, don't don't freak out on me. 
Uh, are we still in Hangouts or have we reached headlines? This is headlines. We, we're, this is now an intermission between this headline and we're going to talk about Rust and Alec Baldwin a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I never actually know how to frame when we're doing the chapter stops, when we're still talking about the article as part of the Hangouts. But in general, if I've got a headline up on screen, it's headlines. And if I don't, uh, it's Hangouts, uh, even though we're talking about the headlines right now. Headlineception. Um, let's see here. Carrie says it's like certain groups treat the Constitution like suggestions only. More what I would call guidelines, really. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, LA Times is super connected to the wealthy. The Times not known for heavy-hitting reporting, so I'm guessing they pissed off somebody super wealthy since they are standing by the headline. It's possible. One of the things I noted here was that the Los Angeles Times is not generally... Uh, this kind of paper. I think that is that is accurate, B. Trando, that they aren't generally going out there and making waves on this kind of reporting. Um, and so the reasoning behind that, we can speculate, of course, uh, somebody at the LA Times had a box, maybe. I mean, it was the Beverly Hills uh, version of this, uh, of this deposit box store. Um, but I, I don't feel comfortable just kind of guessing at that. Clearly they're pissed. It might be righteous indignation. It might be justice-oriented. It might be that somebody high up at the Los Angeles Times got their stuff stolen. I can't say. Um, uh, Ian wants to flag again Steve Lido, uh, an, a Michigan-area Lebanon law attorney. has covered this incident a few times as the details evolved. I, again, I say fantastic. I didn't know that. Go check out his channel. I'll probably drop in and check it out as well. Um, Britt Cormier with the Super Chat. Thank you, Britt. If I recall correctly, one of the issues with returning stuff is that the FBI did not keep inventory of what items were in each box. Sounds like them. They told the owners you have to claim the items by description, not by box number. Okay, well, if that is true, Britt, and I really appreciate you bringing that to, to my attention, then one of the issues there is that the FBI shouldn't be able to benefit from their crappy organizational skills, right? That if we had that same kind of situation and had to, oh, I don't know, answer questions to an IRS audit, that would not be an acceptable answer. Well, we put them all in a pile for one of those photo shoots that we do. And then we just kind of spread them out. Some people threw them into the air and now we don't know whose is whose. So you're going to have to tell us exactly what was in your safe deposit box. I don't know if you asked me to tell you what is on my bookshelf to my left that I could tell you that exactly. Um, so that's not great. Britt, I appreciate that extra clarity. Um Craig's civil asset forfeitures resulted in police targeting easy targets, not criminals necessarily, and ignoring normal policing duties because it does not pay as well. I mean, we've had constant questions about even things that aren't involving civil asset forfeiture, like speeding tickets, in, in terms of how much the general funding for various law enforcement activities around the country depend on those things. So if you build in a certain amount of civil asset forfeiture into your understood baseline budget, I can see how that could definitely create problems. Um, let's see here. Oh, law, it's not even you that are alleged to have done anything. Typically, it's the money itself. United States versus $25,000, an example. Yes, that's how civil asset forfeiture proceedings are generally done. Uh, but it still has to be based around an actual illegal act somewhere. Um, and they, they, they're they given broad discretion on establishing those, definitely. Uh, what else we got here? Um, I want to hear the opposite side of the story right now. Yeah, I agree. This sounds just dirty. What was the incentive behind this article? It really stirs the pot. It does, Sarah. I, and I, I, that's why I wanted to note it in the specific way that I did, which is nobody should be taking one specific source. Nobody should be taking one specific argument here. Go check out Steve Lito. Go check out other context and information around this. But certainly as described, 
it's uh, it's a problem. Um, and and again, optically that matters too, because even though I tell you, hey, yeah, don't take my word for it, don't take anybody's word for it. Go look at the stuff yourself. Go look at different articles. And I think that's great. And we need more of that in the in the world and in the country. Uh, and I will advocate for that. That's what I really feel like we can do here is, is help spread that message. Reasonable minds can differ and more. Not everybody's going to do that. So when we talk about institutional trust, there is a notion that the FBI put themselves in the position where the Los Angeles Times can write an article like this um, and everything that is framed out, uh, presuming that they aren't outright fabrications. And I think we have to kind of operate on that assumption as we read it. Uh, the FBI looks terrible. And so that institution should be wary of how it looks optically, even if it thinks it's in the right. Uh, and if it is in the right, you know, that it should be able to frame that better than, uh, we did everything just fine. And we don't have to tell the judge what we're going to do with the assets. I mean, okay. No mandate says, this is one reason I keep all my cash and valuables in my own safe at home. It's fair. I mean, at, at least at that point, the FBI has to raid just you. Uh, and can't collect like a thousand boxes at once. Um, let's see here. We got a lot of other discussions about law enforcement. Ian's telling me I keep pronouncing it wrong. It's not Lido, it's Lado. Sorry, apologies. Um, so uh, go check out his channel, definitely. Uh, Claude Simeon says, and of course, remember the journalists are corrupt, mistaken too. And can we trust this story? Hmm right? We've tried to frame all this out. This is the functional problem, right? If you have total loss in faith of all institutions, I, you're just lost. I mean, the entirety of the adult experience is unmoored. Because if you say, I can't trust the government to report on the FBI, I can't trust the judge that signed the war, and I can't trust the FBI that wrote it. I can't trust the representative that's speaking out about it now. I can't trust the journalistic outlet that's reporting on it. I can't trust you, Claude Simeon, who's chatting here with me. I mean, you don't have anything to ground you. You don't have any mooring. And so you can try to triangulate, but it's kind of like trying to read radio signals in like the Bermuda Triangle or in a fog. Uh, and it becomes trickier and trickier the more that that institutional trust erodes. Uh, and I don't know that our institutions necessarily are either aware or care uh, about that as much as they should. So I'll continue to advocate for it here. Uh, bankers say never put cash in safety deposit boxes. Sure, but bankers really like to get cash themselves, right? So, I mean, if we're if we're talking about trust, uh, banks through the magic of fractional reserve banking make their money by having your cash. Um, so, in general, they are going to advocate to have your cash. Just saying. Uh, the Slade with a very generous super chat. Thank you so much, Steve Lado of Lado's Law has been covering this for a while, and the whole thing seems pretty shady on the FBI's part. Appreciate it, the Slade. I have heard that from a number of folks, uh, and I will probably check out his channel. Uh, and go see exactly what he has to say about that. Uh, Dog backwards, just with a random aside, I'll be smarter than you soon. This is fair. Um, and congratulations. <laughs> uh, what else we have here? Uh, night, everything is presumptively the government's prove your own stuff. It's close. It's close to that. We don't know what you had. Uh, oh, my God, by description. Uh, yeah, certainly could be. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, I think we're, I think we're about ready to move on to everybody ready for, for Alec Baldwin and, and the rust shooting. Uh, because I think that's, I think that is as interesting uh, as this and a little bit less terrifying, uh, since Alec Baldwin is very unlikely to come in and raid your personal residence. I think I can't make promises folks, 
but I think he's unlikely to do that. So we're going we're gonna to move on. Uh, if you haven't been following this, we did do a virtual legality that talks specifically about the interview that he gave and how unwise it was to give that interview uh, because he provided all sorts of, um, pardon the untoward pun, ammunition uh, to his detractors and potentially the prosecution uh, on this case. Uh, and we are seeing that come to the fore in a series of, of articles uh, over the last three days. So here's the New York Times. Alec Baldwin and others could face charges in rust shooting, district attorney says. In a funding request, the Santa Fe County District Attorney said that up to four people potentially face criminal charges in the shooting death of a cinematographer on a film set last year. Uh, now, if you're wondering about that, about the number of people there, we aren't as lawyers or as law enforcement or just conceptually limited to the notion that even if one person is primarily responsible for a death, that there aren't others that could have legal liability for it. So here the district attorney is saying, I need a bunch more money because I actually think that there are multiple prongs of liability exposure of people to blame for this, right? Sure, Alec Baldwin is the one that's pointing the gun. That's where most of the spotlight is going to be aimed. We're gonna look at that in just a second. But how did the live ammunition come to be in the gun? What other steps were taken? What improper steps might've been taken in terms of just managing the set? All of those people could still be responsible for the one set of bad circumstances in this particular case. Uh, and so now that this particular district attorney thinks it might be up to four people. And so I'm going to need a lot of money. Uh, so the way this works, as described here by the New York Times, is that because this particular office needs a lot more money, they have to go ask the, the, the board, as it were, for this particular money. So the Santa Fe County District Attorney's Office has said that up to four people, including the actor Alec Baldwin, could be charged in the fatal shooting of a cinematographer on the set of the film Rust if prosecutors decide criminal charges are warranted. Now, this is actually a pretty good lead sentence from the New York Times and like maybe should have been used a little bit here, but could face is, is probably enough where unlike some other reporting that I did see, Alec Baldwin is extraordinarily likely after these set of events to be charged with what I would be willing to guess is a kind of manslaughter in New Mexico. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but it is not a guarantee yet. And some people are saying that it is. Some people are basically reporting on it as if Alec Baldwin is going to uh, be charged. I, I think that he will be, but it isn't set in stone from what letters we have seen. It's if prosecutors decide criminal charges are warranted. The district attorney's office speculated on the possible charges in a request to state officials late last month that asked for additional funding to cover the costs that would be incurred if charges were brought, which would result in several high-profile trials. While the district attorney, Mary Carmack Altwies, made it clear in her funding request that her office had not yet decided whether to bring charges, so the New York Times gives double underline to that. If charges are warranted, she began one sentence, the funding request also went into greater detail than she has in the past, noting that her office could charge up to four people with the document request stating one of the possible defendants is well-known movie actor Alec Baldwin. Uh, and then they describe this. Uh, he had incorrectly been told the gun did not contain live ammunition, but it went off. Passive voice for the win there from the New York Times. Firing a bullet that killed Ms. Hutchins and injuring Joel Souza, the film's director. Mr. Baldwin has insisted that he is not to blame for the fatal shooting, saying that he had not pulled the trigger and did not know how live rounds got onto the set. Now, we talked about this in that earlier video. But the biggest problem that Mr. Baldwin has is that New Mexico has a fairly, fairly liberal approach to involuntary manslaughter. And in the New Mexico statutes, involuntary manslaughter 
uh, consists of manslaughter committed in the commission of an unlawful act, non amounting to a felony. So in general, a misdemeanor unlawful act or in the commission of a lawful act, which might produce death in an unlawful manner or without due caution and circumspection. A number of the folks that I've seen comment on this actually relate to the second part here where they say it's the commission of a lawful act, which is essentially rehearsing your, 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 your show, your movie, which might produce death in an unlawful manner. And all of this death is unlawful, right? The, the difference between lawful and unlawful death is justification. Certainly there is no justification uh, for Ms. Hutchins dying uh, on this or without due caution and circumspection. So one framing of this is that Alec Baldwin could be in trouble because he didn't act with due caution and circumspection. That's why we've seen the interviews from other actors saying, you know, you always check the gun, you confirm it. You, you don't just take somebody's word for it. You don't just pick up a gun and you certainly never aim it at someone even while you're filming. And that's the kind of commentary that we have seen. I actually think it might be a little bit stronger to go through this first part here to say that this particular manslaughter is committed in the commission of an unlawful act, not amounting to a felony, when you've got a misdemeanor available to you in New Mexico called the negligent use of a deadly weapon, which is when you endanger the safety of another by handling or using a firearm in a negligent manner. And, and proving negligence here, I think, is going to be pretty easy. It's almost per se negligent when somebody dies as you aim a gun at them. Uh, and so that's a negligent use of the weapon. That becomes a misdemeanor that can result in this involuntary manslaughter charge. And I've said from the start, that looks like a bad sequence for Mr. Baldwin if the prosecutors have the political temerity or desire to move forward with this. And that doesn't need to imply intent. We don't need to think that Alec Baldwin wanted to murder this lady. We just need to think that he was careless with aiming a gun at someone regardless. Uh, and... I think that's pretty hard to argue against, especially when you go through the interview and he describes how he aimed it at her and he talks about it and he uses the finger guns to establish what he's doing. Uh, and, and all the rest from that interview is going to be used in this court case. So he, he set up his case against himself live <laughs> on television, which is why we did a video on it in the first place. It's, it's silly. And it's the kind of silly that I think really results from feeling like you're untouchable for the most part. Um, but that's what this particular DA has said. A lawyer for Mr. Baldwin said in a statement that the district attorney had made it clear that she had not yet made any decisions about who, if anyone, might be charged in the case. I was told that it would be premature to discuss the case because they had not yet reviewed the file or deliberated about their charging decision. Uh, in other words, they haven't finished their investigation. But the fact that they've started to ask for money is strongly suggestive that they intend to move in a specific direction. Ms. Carmack Altwes said that uh, has said for months that criminal charges were possible in the case. They have to be, but that her office was waiting for the results of an investigation by the sheriff's office before making a final decision. In a meeting with the New Mexico Board of Finance last week, Ms. Carmack Altwes said she expected those findings to arrive within days or weeks. So, in a meeting last week, she said she thought that she would get the answer within days or weeks. Um, and is asking for a huge amount of money to actually prosecute this. Chances are they're feeling pretty strong that they're going to charge someone. And the most likely charging target is Mr. Baldwin. It has become apparent that we will be potentially charging between one and four people with criminal charges, Ms. Carmack Altwes told board members in a meeting on September 20th. Each of those charges will probably include some variation of our homicide statute. In her plea for more than $600,000 in emergency funding, Ms. Carmack Altwes told the board her office would need to hire a prosecutor devoted to the case full-time, a special investigator, 
a public information officer, that's your PR for the office, a paralegal, and several experts. The board gave her about half and said she can come get more money if she needs it. That is the state of play as it stands right now. But we have seen this reported across the spectrum of uh, various outlets, including Deadline, who has a few more quotes from the lawyer here saying um, that nothing is nothing is done. It is irresponsible to report otherwise that Alec Baldwin is going to be charged on this. Uh, the DA has made it clear she has not received the sheriff's report or any decisions about who, if anyone, might be charged. Uh, and Deadline goes out with that. Then they summarize the actual shooting issues and the interview and everything else from there. And then you get one of our favorite sources, who is not all questionable, and that is the Daily Mail, which is reporting on a different aspect of this. And this comes from the other direction of when you think charges might otherwise accrue. Alec Baldwin is selling his most valuable asset, his Hamptons home, which apparently is valued at almost $30 million. Good work if you can get it, folks. And uh, as you will see summarized in the Daily Mail, there's any number of reasons why that could be happening. One is he's got a civil trial against him, uh, which, uh, again, I think is, is very likely to bear fruit or at least get to a settlement because of the circumstances surrounding this particular shooting. We have some pictures from the Daily Mail. Um, and then in the midst of that and other things like a defamation lawsuit against him, uh, Baldwin put his largest asset on the market. Legal observers, why do you need to be anonymous as a legal observer? Tell DailyMail.com that Baldwin's decision to sell his $29 million estate in the Hamptons may be part of an effort to shift and potentially shield assets from lawsuits that could cost him a fortune. I'm not a trust lawyer. I'm not a bankruptcy lawyer. I'm not a litigator. With all that said, in general, you can't move assets with a high level of success after the litigation has already basically started to happen. The shadow of litigation, we might call it. And we might call transfers of assets fraudulent conveyances, depending on how they were done. Now, again, possession is nine-tenths of the law. So if you can get liquid and you can go and put your money in various places, it becomes harder to attach. And one thing I will say is that much like that DA's letter is indicative of, yes, Alec Baldwin seems very likely to be charged. Alec Baldwin immediately moving to liquidate most of his hard assets in favor of cash, also indicative of someone who believes that they are likely to be charged. Doesn't mean it will necessarily happen, but all parties involved seem to think that Alec Baldwin is likely to be charged with what I would guess is involuntary manslaughter. Um, now, there are other speculations in this article. Could be looking to transfer his wealth into more protected assets, such as irrevocable trusts for his kids or real estate in a state that shields property from creditors like Florida. I'd be interested to see if he's buying anything in Florida because Florida has special homestead protections. Robert Steele, a Manhattan trust lawyer, told DailyMail.com. OJ bought a house in Florida and got protections there that you can't get in most states. They're very strongly protecting their homesteads. I'd be curious to see if the creditors could claw that back. That would be, that's a fraudulent conveyance. You're moving assets deliberately to try to get out of the liability that you might otherwise accrue. Um, they've got a defamation case that he's also dealing with for when he called somebody an insurrectionist. Uh, and the lawyer here talks about the fact that they, he appears to be moving money, hopefully not away from answering what he would otherwise have to answer for in their case. Uh, Daily Mail continues with more stuff that says, hey, he, he might just be trying to get liquid because he might have some big lawyer bills coming up. With any real property like a Hamptons home, those are a lot harder to deal with than cash. You can't easily collateralize it or use it to pay your legal fees. So my guess is that in light of all these legal issues, he's making an attempt to be liquid. To use a cliche, he's saving for a rainy day. Certainly could be. But in any event, what you've got from all of this is, well, 
someone who thinks he's likely to be charged. And that is doubled up on by the fact that very recently, a judge in a separate case here titled as Russ Script Supervisor's Assault and Battery Suit Stripped Down by a Judge determined that Alec Baldwin was primarily responsible for the, the killing. Uh, and in that particular context, again, that's not the criminal charges that might accrue to Mr. Baldwin. It's in saying that someone else is not primarily responsible. You've got another situation on your plate, if you are Mr. Baldwin, that says, okay, there are real issues that I'm going to have to face on this. Or as this judge says, while Rust script supervisor Mamie Mitchell alleges that the producers assisted Baldwin by supplying the loaded weapon, Mitchell's allegations fail to establish that the producers knew Baldwin would aim and fire the loaded weapon such that they would be jointly liable for his intentional conduct. Intentional here not meaning killing. Intentional meaning the lifting and aiming of a gun. And that doesn't require, it's important to note, the pulling of the trigger. Um, it's it's the, the act of negligent aiming uh, that could be enough to actually find Mr. Baldwin in a significant amount of trouble. Uh, Mitchell's allegations would show the opposite to be true. The only person who knew Baldwin was going to fire the weapon was Baldwin, this ruling dismisses Mitchell's claims for intentional infliction of emotional distress as well as assault and battery against the Russ producers. However, Baldwin himself remains a defendant in the now twice amended lawsuit. So Mr. Baldwin has a lot going on. Um, and it just once again establishes exactly how wrongheaded it was to go out with those interviews, to go out with those statements as they happened in the immediate aftermath of this. It's a tragedy. Um, and I don't have any reason to believe it was intentionally inflicted, but as a person that has to know they are of interest to law enforcement on these kinds of things, as there is no question that you were the one holding the gun that shot and killed someone, um, you just don't do that. Uh, and I, I think, unfortunately, Mr. Baldwin is discovering that late on this, and, and it's an important lesson. Uh, as, as we say, um, get your lawyer. Don't talk to anybody and, and work with legal counsel. Um, that said, uh, it does appear like there is a certain amount of responsibility that should be uh, put upon some of the folks that were operating this set. And there's other things in those articles that I skipped, such as apparently Alec Baldwin is trying to get the film finished um, at the same time and, and has said he wants to use that money to, to pay for uh, the, the widower uh, and, their, and their child, I believe it is. Uh, but I don't think the producers are going to go for that. Um, and there's a lot more going on there, but I did want to comment on it a little bit uh, because I think even when I did that earlier virtual legality episode, my thinking was that there might not be a lot of political appetite to bring a case of that nature in, uh, in your state. Seems to have shifted. Seems like the DA does have that political appetite. Uh, and I think at that point in time, you're going to see um, you're going to see a very public trial um, of, of Mr. Alec Baldwin on this. So. That's the state of play with Russ. That's the state of play with all of this. Um, what do you all think on this? Um, RJH00 here says, I'm so confused as to how Baldwin is legally to blame. Some weapons expert gave him a gun that turned out to be reloaded. He was acting and used it. Why is he to blame? Well, I, you have commentary from a number of folks uh, that say it's not uh, appropriate safety uh, measures to not check it yourself. It also wasn't handed to him. Um, I, I believe if the story is uh, correct on this, it was like during a lunch break and, and he took it himself, uh, I believe. Um, but obviously you're not supposed to have loaded bullets anywhere near anything like that. Uh, but it's also standard practice to not aim, um, to, to check your line uh, when, you're, when you're aiming the guns. I am not a movie actor. 
So I'm, I'm taking this all on what other people have said, certainly in terms of gun safety in general. Um, you know, one of the one of the main rules is you don't aim it at anything you don't intend to shoot. Um, and while that can prove a little bit more difficult in, in, in the world of movie making, um, you still are supposed to check your lines and, and make sure that you're not you, there isn't somebody behind your, your gun. Um, so is he responsible? I don't think he's responsible for what we would consider to be murder. It's not malice. Uh, but in general, the law applies responsibility to accidental deaths all the time if there was negligence involved. Um, and I, I think Alec Baldwin is a principal part. He's certainly the but-for cause of the death. And so it's always going to start there. And then you can start to apply liability to how did loaded ammunition get there? What were the safety protocols on set? I don't know what four people that this DA is thinking of, but I can easily imagine a number of people being responsible for that. And I also understand that you can imagine yourself in that circumstance, but I, the law wants to say, be real careful with guns, even if you're shooting a, a movie, uh, because this kind of thing can happen. And so we want to potentially punish those that aren't real careful with guns. Uh, and I think that might be what's happening here. Uh, civil liability is appropriate. Criminal liability makes me uncomfortable, says Guru for Hire. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't blame you for that. I really don't. I think a reasonable mind in the DA's office can differ either direction. Say there's clearly no intentionality here um, and we don't need to make an example of this particular case. And the other side can say, we do need to make an example of this case. People need to be aware of this kind of stuff. Uh, and we want to make sure that sets all over the place are properly handled within our state. Um, and so you do something like this, you have this kind of uh, liability and, and, and you make that case. I didn't think he would be charged. I, it'll still be somewhat of a surprise if and when they actually announce that charge to me. Um, but I, I can see both directions here. Cynically, if you want to be cynical on this, it's also a hugely high profile thing. You, you're going to know this DA's name when this is over. Um, maybe similar to the, how, you know, you know, the lawyers in the Depp v. Heard case, uh, depending. And so a politically minded district attorney could look at this and say, this is my shot. And that's, that's again, being cynical about institutions. Maybe it's just cynical day here at Hangouts and Headlines. So you could view it that way. <clears throat> but I don't think it is strictly um, a hollow shell. I do think that the laws on the books give you a way to charge Alec Baldwin and probably win that case. Uh, and so then it's up to prosecutorial discretion and reasonable minds can differ there. Uh, what else we got here? Um, Halls handed him the gun. Halls had also told the armorer that she had already spent too much of her eight days of armorer work and to go work on her props assistant work. Um, I'm trying to remember since I looked at this a little while back, uh, about what happens there. I do know that it was a non-standard rehearsal um, and that it wasn't, it didn't go through normal processes. Um, so there's a lot of people that could potentially be blamed. Cheryl says, so does this mean Baldwin is likely criminally liable and the armorer and the AD are also civilly liable? Because I remember professional film armorers talking about safety protocols that weren't done. This is completely separate from civil liability. Um, so this is the DA. They are looking at potentially charging folks on a criminal basis. And then they're potentially looking at four. Um, and we don't know. They mentioned Alec Baldwin by name because that's one of the reasons why it would be so expensive uh, is because they do need that public relations person and it would be a big deal. I would argue that he's probably first in line, uh, but the DA could be looking at it in a different, in a different direction um, and has different evidence than I have. Um, so Alec Baldwin's the most obvious to me. He's the named person in the letter. They have to know that that would get leaked out. Um, and so... I think that they are very likely to charge him. Others can absolutely be charged. 
Um, Kerry Harvey, it's going to cost him lots and lots of money either way. Uh, Bruce Grubb says, right, several actors playing around with blanks have killed themselves. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly not the first time uh, that, that guns have killed people on movie set. Uh, David says, I've heard many Hollywood workers say you never point a gun at anyone, even on a set. They use camera angles to make it appear to be pointed at someone. Baldwin broke his Hollywood safety rule for sure. I, I can't say for sure, but I have heard the same thing, and it makes entirely too much sense, right? You can do all sorts of things with camera angles. You don't need to be aiming it at anybody, um, and you don't need to be, have the, the camera operator standing directly behind the camera, even if you're doing what he described as a like a shoot-into-the-lens um, kind of shot. Now, he also tried to put the blame on the deceased in that interview, uh, which came off a little bit wrong, I think, where he said, well, she basically made me move the aim to, to cover her. Um, and that's that wasn't a great look, I don't think, but it could possibly be a defense um, in, in the actual case itself. Uh, ATI says, with that weapon, regardless of what Mr. Baldwin claims, his finger was on the trigger and it was depressed enough to release the sear and allow the hammer to fall when he fanned the hammer. I'm not going to lie, folks. Those are a lot of words that seem to relate to gun components that I just am not familiar with. So I'm going to yield on the expertise there. I have heard people say that that gun can fire without pulling the trigger. Um, but that is as far as I can go. Um, that Sarah Handmaid Darcy, the producers and director, also didn't allow her into the church set due to COVID protocols and the number of people already in there. Yeah. And I mean, there could be liability all over the place. Folks, unfortunately, when you've got a tragedy like this, as anybody that's gone to law school knows, when you're looking at cases that seem very untenable or unlikely, generally speaking, there's any number of ways you could go with causation on this. Um, and so it's possible the DA will look at everybody. It's possible the DA will pick only the two or three that they think are most responsible. We just don't know. Um, Hogue Law, hey, honey, says Ian has a video on how easy it would have been to check the gun. I'm sure he does. Uh, Ian is probably the right place to go for the, the gun-related information on this particular case. So do check out Runkle of the Bailey. Um, uh, Bruce says, so you use prop guns, uh, no way to have them loaded. Uh, yeah, that they, they're not functional at all. I, there are any number of ways that you can imagine this could have been prevented. Absolutely. Uh, Guru Fahir also says, I don't like the nurse going to jail for dispensing the wrong medicine. I hear you. I hear you. It becomes a question. It's, it's, a, it's a push and a pull of how much you want to punish people for negligence, um, right? Because we do want our professionals, we do want people engaged in the world to be cautious, to use, the, the, the definition of negligence is did not use reasonable care. We want people to use reasonable care and we want the law to have redress if they don't. Um, but that doesn't feel as appropriate as the malicious murderer, right? That's the easier case. But what do we do about negligence and what kind of protection should we have about it? Is Should there be criminal liability attached? Those are questions that are difficult, and I don't, I don't uh, want to understate your discomfort because a lot of people have discomfort, uh, and that can change on a fact-by-fact -fact basis on different cases. <clears throat> Carolyn, with firearms come great responsibility, no exceptions. I, he pointed a gun at someone, it went off, and she died. I, I think at that point, you do have to look at responsibility. Whether or not a DA goes forward with it, I, different DAs would come up with different solutions on this. Um B, hope all the headaches that were bothering people are gone now, or at least better. Mine's lighter. Thank you, B, for checking in. Mine is lighter. So uh, you, you, you wake up, you get used to it a little bit, but uh, I appreciate it. Um, let's see here. Uh, Tara Holland in the movie shooting of Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow, where their charges brought on that too. 
man, I did that research when I was looking at this to start out with, and I believe there was a case against the producers. I don't think criminal charges were brought. Somebody can correct me if I am wrong on that. Um, Carrie says gun owners in general will tell you never to point a gun at somebody unless you plan to shoot them. That's the rule that I have heard it described to me as. I've never really been uh, a gun shooter myself, but but certainly I've heard that rule and I, I'm uh, friends with folks that do uh, regular shooting. Um, let's see here. Uh, lots of folks with lots of good thoughts on this. I, I do want to say again um, that I think for difficult stuff, for sensitive stuff, uh, you all have just been the highlight of uh, my day uh, in these comments and everything else. Uh, Hollywood sets insurance <clears throat> states only the armorer can open guns on set. Nobody else is allowed to open the guns. Therefore, if the guns loaded with live ammunition, it is 100% the armorer's fault. I strongly suspect the armorer is in line for a charge. <clears throat> Uh, Bruce says Brandon Lee was killed by defective blank ammunition and there was a settlement in the resulting lawsuit. Yeah, that sounds right. Thank you. Uh, I think Baldwin needs to be charged, even if it ends in a slap on the wrist, to warn the film industry. And also Baldwin was the actor, but also producer. So in essence, a boss of the armor. That is coming up, especially on the civil side, right? That he is one of the primary producers of the film. So he's got liability coming from both directions um, as, as the actual actor, literally. Uh, who did the act and as uh, one of the people responsible for safety and, and protocols. And we've seen in the interviews that there were safety walkouts and all sorts of stuff uh, before any of this happened. So it, it'll be, it'll be a circus uh, if it does go forward. I think the DA is right on that. Cheryl says, I don't like punitive measures in general because they generally have very limited effectiveness, but I'm not opposed to criminal charges against gross negligence beyond that. Yeah. And, and that's Yes. Do you believe there's a signaling function in, in a criminal charge in this case? Do you believe that it will prevent uh, any kind of future negligence? If you don't, then this looks even more uh, inappropriately applied if there are charges filed, right? So that's going to be philosophical discussions um, either at the DA level or just between you know us folks here in Hangouts and Headlines. So I hear you. If you think that that doesn't have a strong effect, then that looks even more gross to go and, and bring criminal charges against someone who at least by all outward appearances didn't mean to kill anybody. Um, and was just negligent in the act. Um, if we learn anything from this case, can it at least be that a prop gun is not a toy gun, but a real gun being used as a prop, like a broom used on a camera is a prop broom? <laughs> well, I think there are prop guns, like like just hunks of plastic, right? I, I might be wrong on that, that you can use for rehearsals and things, no? David says the entire purpose of the set armor is to load, maintain, and hold all guns on set. If actors can open the gun, <clears throat> then surely they can also replace blanks with live ammo. Yes, possibly. I Again, it's, it's what I have heard from people that says it's ordinary course to go and open the gun and check, and check the, the gun yourself. I don't know if it is or not. Uh, and then you've got some uh, discussions further on here. So I think that's it for today. It's 8.45 here on the East Coast. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me in this chat. Everybody that's been working through headaches, like I have this morning. Thank you so much for joining me. As I said uh, at the top of this video, we're going to be doing question time tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. You will see the placeholder go up shortly after this video ends, I think. Uh, so be prepared. If you have any questions about any of the stuff we've covered in September or anything you want to ask me, just you want to talk about the Michigan Wolverines for 40 minutes, like I wouldn't hate it. Um, come in for that. We're going to do the Utreon and the Patreon questions that come in first as we do for question time. They're the ones 
helping get question time made. Outside of that, and I'm going to rest my voice after this, um, we're going to do community questions. And also, if you've got any art or any pictures of the stuff that you've been getting from the store, uh, I'll probably have a section right at the top uh, where we, we go over some community art stuff and some some of those pictures, people wearing the shirts and things. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and I really, really appreciate it. So be there tomorrow. We won't have Hangouts and Headlines tomorrow because it's Wednesday. Otherwise, have a great Tuesday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. Uh, and I will see you on the next episode of whatever you might find on the Hoaglaw YouTube channel. See you, everybody. <laughs>